Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Pastored by Reverend Gary Dereshinsky, New Hope Chapel is located in Arnold, Maryland. You can find us on the web at www.newhopechapel.org. Now here's Pastor Gary Dereshinsky with today's message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 19. This is a message for Xander that I'd like to share with you all. You're allowed to listen in, but it is his. And we're looking at Psalm 119, which is a psalm that focuses on the Word of God. As I said a few weeks ago, this is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Of course, if you go back a couple of chapters to Psalm 117, you find the shortest chapter and the shortest psalm in the Bible. But we're looking at verses 9 through 16. And let me read them for you, and if you would follow along, and then share with you some thoughts that I have. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his ways pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. As I said earlier, Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. That is to say, every section of eight verses begins with a consecutive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses began with the letter Aleph. And in your Bibles, I think all of them, you'll see the Hebrew letter Aleph and the transliteration into English right next to it. And that's because that section all begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Beit. Now, the interesting thing about the letter Beit is the word Beit means house. So this chapter really addresses the question, and the rabbis raise this. They say, just as these verses begin with the letter Beit, and the letter Beit also is a word which means house, literally the house of, the rabbis say this section of Psalm 119 teaches us how to make our heart a home for the word of God and for God himself. And I think that's really a great way to look at this section of Psalm 119. A heart for God. Make your heart a home for the Lord and for his word. Now, when we think about our hearts being a home for God, you know, this is what the message of the good news, the message of God throughout scripture is all about. Having a relationship with the Lord. Having God at home with us. This is why when God calls Abraham, he calls him to walk with him throughout the land that he promises to give him that he would be a companion to God. This is what we see in the book of Genesis with Enoch who walked with God and was not because God had taken him. This is what we see with David whom we are told was a man after God's own heart. This is what we see in the life of a Jacob. Although there are many things we may not like about him, there is one thing we ought to be very, uh, very positive about in our viewing of Jacob, and that is he valued the things of God. He treasured them, and he would do anything to acquire them, even to wrestle with the angel of the Lord all night. And when the angel says, let me go, he says, no way, I'm getting what God has for me, even if it kills me. And it almost did. Because the angel touched his hip, 
And from that moment on, he limped for the rest of his life. And then he realized, well, maybe I should let go. And then God changes his name, right, to a prince with God. One who fights God and wins. Think about that. One who is victorious over God because he acquires the blessing he wanted. Why? Because he cherished and treasured the things of God so much he would do anything to get them. Sometimes he did wrong things, but he desired the things of God because his heart was a place where he wanted God to reside. So when you look at this psalm and the rabbis say, this psalm tells us how to make our heart a home for God. It's wise that we listen to it. The first question we might ask is, when should we do this? And so if you look at the first verse, he tells us, "Blessed, oh, excuse me, how can a young man keep his way pure? The time to start making your house a home for God is when you are young. And for those who come to know the Lord later in life, right away, right? In other words, as soon as you can. The younger, the better. Because the younger you are, the better you can establish habits for the rest of your life. And so as a young person, I know the world tells us, listen, I'll think about the things of God after I've sowed my oats, I've had my fun, and I've experienced all the things I want to experience. That's the, what the world says. You want to get yourself right with God? Wait till you're 50. Wait till you're 40. You know, Enjoy your 20s and 30s and go crazy. You know, Sort of like the prodigal son who said, look, I want my inheritance now and I want to enjoy my youth with the means that are at my disposal. I'll think about God later. But what a terrible mistake he had made. And what a terrible mistake we all make when we don't seek to make our hearts a place for God as soon as we can. It was Beza who was one of the reformers with Martin Luther and John Calvin and that, that whole crowd back in the 16. 16th century, it was Beza who in his last will and testament opened it by saying how thankful he was that the Lord had led him to himself when he was 16 years old and that he walked with him the remaining 70 years of his life and that that entire time of his life was a life of service to God. And as he looked back, he thought, what a full life I've lived. Mary Lou and I, Mary Lou came to faith when she was 16. I came to faith when I was 17. We've walked with the Lord now almost, what is it, 50, 60 years now, Mary? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Shame on you. That's what I love about Mary Lou. She's always correcting me, you know, always keeping me in check, making sure I got... No, about not even 40, not even 40 years. I did the math and I did remember that, but I thought I'd just take a jab. But less than 40 years, we've walked with the Lord. I can remember the day I invited the Lord into my life and started reading the Word and how excited I was. And I said, I wonder what it's going to be like a year from now when I could say I've walked with God one year. Then I thought, what will it be like when next year it'll be my fifth year? I don't mean right after that year. I mean down the road, I thought... You know, four years later, I was thinking, next year, it'll be five years that I've been faithful in walking with the Lord. And I thought, wow, what would it be when I'm 20 years I've known God? I kept trying to do the math. You know, I'll have known God more, you know, more than half of my entire life. I thought, what would that be like if I walked with the Lord for more than half of my life? Would that be different? What would I be like? 
And now I'm thinking, you know, I'm walking with the Lord now, not yet, but almost 40 years of my young life. 40 years. And I'm thinking, wow, that's like really awesome. And that's what Beza thought. He thought, why? Because I started, well, as young as I was able to. And if you didn't come to know the Lord until later in life, start now. Walk with him as soon as you can. And by the way, the Bible over and over tells us of the lives of young people that come to know the Lord. Did you ever think about that? Take a guy like, well, we talked about him a moment ago, Jacob. He was walking with God before he was even born. Because in the womb of Rebekah, he was at war with Esau over the things of God. I want to be born first so I would have the right of primogeniture, the right of the firstborn. And he wrestled with him and held on to his heel even before. God said there are two nations you do. They're at war at each other. They held different values. And the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, would worship false gods, but not the descendants of Jacob. They were to worship the true God. As a young man, and yes, Jacob made terrible mistakes as a young man because young men make terrible mistakes. But his mistakes were always motivated by a desire to have the things of God. Yes, he deceived his father. Never deceived his his brother. He said, look, you want to give me your birthright? Uh, Fine, it'll cost, you want my stew? It'll cost you a birthright. We didn't deceive him. He told him what the price was. It was right there. And Esau despised, the word says in Genesis, very important you notice that, he despised his birthright. He did not value it, but Jacob did. And if he can get it at a low price, so be it. And so he did for just a, a thing of stew. Now, he did deceive his father. That's true. And it was a horrible thing that he had done. But he was a young man, and young men do foolish things. But he did a foolish thing to acquire a great blessing from God. That doesn't justify it, only to say the Bible is filled with the stories of young men that we learn their journeys. Not just Jacob. Consider a man like Joseph. He was sold into slavery when he was 17. But what a great man he was. Never, never, no sin is ever spoken about him in the Scripture. He obeyed his father. He said, go to your brothers, find out what they're doing with the sheep. He was dreaming dreams that God was giving to him at a young age and sharing those dreams with his brothers and his brothers despised him for sharing with them God's revelation to him. Remember, there's no Bible in Joseph's day. Moses isn't around yet to write Joseph's story. And so Joseph is doing a good thing by telling his brothers what God has shown him in a dream. I know a lot of people try to make Joseph look bad. See, he's throwing his dreams out in front of his brothers to show them how better he was. That's not what's going on at all. He's telling them what God is showing him. He valued God as a young man. And look what God did with his life. Second in command to Pharaoh. That's not too bad. Take a man like Samuel. Another young man. As a young baby, a young child, four or five years old, brought to the high priest to be raised. And what kind of a man does he become? Well, he's one of our top five Old Testament characters, right? If you can talk about the top five, you got to talk about Abraham. You got to talk about Jacob. You got to talk about Moses. You got to talk about Samuel. You got to talk about David. Well, he makes the top five. He anoints the first two kings of Israel. He becomes not only a prophet and a judge, but a priest as well. There's only one other individual that held three offices in Israel. That's the Lord Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Samuel was a prophet, priest, and judge. He was a good man. 
and his whole life devoted to God, but it started young. Well, he's not the only one. Look at David. As a young man, there he is killing Goliath. As a young man, and not just killing Goliath, I think it's just utterly gruesome that he not only nails him with a stone, but then takes his sword and chops off his head. And then when Saul calls him and says, get the guy that killed him, and David comes in, oh, you want me? And he's holding the head of Goliath. I mean, it's one thing to kill the man. It's another thing to keep him with you, you know, or, or at least a part of him. You know, I mean, you've got to be something else to do that, you know. But he was a young man. And not only that, a great musician, right? When he played, Saul was soothed. And his whole life, and he becomes the prototype of Israel's kings. Why? Because he walked with the Lord as a young man. Oh, we could talk about Daniel. What about Daniel? He was a young man. And when he went off into Babylon as an exile, away from his family, away from his country, away from his language, away from his traditions, and the king says, I want these guys well fed. We're going to feed them this meat offered to idols. Daniel, as a young man, says, there's no way I'm eating food offered up to idols. Daniel, as an older man, he had habits already formed. I'm walking with God. I don't care what anyone does to me. So that later when he's praying three times a day and he's told no one can pray publicly, he said, oh, really? Open the windows because I'm praying publicly. And he did. And yeah, he went to the lion's den, but God protects him. What about his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah? Those guys walk right into a fiery furnace. They say, hey, all we know is we are not bowing down to the Babylonian God or the Babylonian king. So if we're taking a walk into the furnace, I'll see you. And there they go, off into the furnace. Young men devoted to God. What about John the Baptist? Even before he's born, he's already leaping in the womb of Elizabeth when the Messiah comes into his midst. I'm already going to do my job of heralding the Messiah. Young man, his whole life has lived that way with a devoted man of God. What about a guy like John Mark? He's a young man at the time of, G- of Jesus' ministry. He's the writer for Peter, and he's the one that participates in the very first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And what about a guy like John, uh, about, uh, John the disciple, the beloved disciple to whom Jesus entrusts his mother? You can go right through the Bible, all these Characters that we emulate, we think of them as adults, but they were young men when God called them and brought them through very hard and trying times. Because our heart needs to be a home for God. When do you start? It's never too late to start. It's always now is the time to start. And if you are young, now's the time to do it. If you are older, now is the time to do it and have as much time with walking with the Lord as you possibly can. But then the psalmist goes on, and notice this. He tells us not only when we should do it, he tells us how we can go about doing it. He tells us by living according to your word. That's how you make your house a home for God. That's how you make your heart open to God, by living according to his word. But you can't live God's word unless you know God's word. So he tells us, take a look at this, two things you need to do to know God's word. He says, number one, seek it. Number two, treasure it. He says in verse 10, I will seek you with all my heart. So the first thing you have to do is you have to seek it. That means to say you have to desire it. You have to work at it. You know, like when you lose something, you say, now where did I put that? I mean, I can't tell you how many times of recent days I put my keys down and then I go to the car Where did I put them? 
You know, then I've got to trace my steps. I've got to really seek them. I've got to think about all of this. That's what you have to do with the Word of God. You can't just open the Bible, read it, and say, okay, I read God's Word. And you say, gee, what does that mean? You have to seek it. You have to scrutinize it. You know, and there's nothing... And you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to do that, although you should at least know Hebrew. But it's... it's you have to seek this. And that takes skills. Like anything else, it takes skills. Nobody here has their job because he just walked in and said, I'd like to do that. And they say, sure, we'll hire you and become a surgeon. You know, I mean, you have to seek it. You really want to be that? It's going to take some work. And it's going to take a lot of time. And it's going to take a lot of money. And it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. And it's going to take a lot of reflecting. It's going to take a lot of saying no to other things you might like to also do. You want to know God's word? It's going to take that too. I'm always amazed at the number of people I meet who they become believers, and, I'm not, you know, and, I, and I know God can do a lot of things with us, and I sit down with them, and they tell me, this is what God's word means. And I say, so how long have you been reading the word? And they may say, oh, about five or ten years. And, you know, have you ever gone to school to study the Bible? No, you don't need to do that. It's just Everybody's got a Bible. You just read it and study it like God tell you it. And I feel like, you know, saying, that's really insulting to me. Is that the way you go to your doctor? You know, he reads a manual on this, that, or the other, and then you say, you know, What's wrong with me? So, well, let me take out the manual. and I'll t- No, we, we want guys that show their skill. And the same thing is true who have learned and studied and devoted. The same thing is true with the Word of God. If you want to handle God's Word, you have to study it. Paul says, study to show yourself approved as a workman unto God. Not just read it. Not just have devotionally uh, be a, impacted by it. Not just listen to it on the radio or on a tape, or, but you need to scrutinize it like you would a crossword puzzle, like you would a manual, like you would instructions on how to put a bicycle together when your son or daughter says, could you put the bike? You just don't go out there, although if you're me, you might, but you actually get the instructions and, and do it. That's what he's telling us. Seek the word scrutinize it, investigate it, get the tools that will make you a better student of God's word. And there's so much stuff out there and on the internet that you can become a very good student of the word without ever having once to step into a classroom to do it. But you have to make that effort. And the second thing he says, you have to hide it in your heart. That means you have to treasure it. I know a lot of people talk about memorizing it. Certainly that may be involved here. But the real idea is you have to treasure it. You have to value it. We're back to Jacob. It has to be seemingly important uh, to you. So the first thing, if you want your heart to be a home for God, it comes by studying the word. When do you do it? As soon as you can. How do you do it? It's by getting the word into our life. How do you get it into our life? You live it. And you learn it. How do you learn it? You seek it and you treasure it. You always value it and consider it as great preeminence as the word of God. Here's a third thing he then tells us. And then uh, not only do we seek it and study it, but look at this. We rely upon, another S word, rely upon the spirit to instruct us. Because he says, oh, that my ways were steadfast uh, oh, I keep going to the, the psalm with the olives, um, like Psalm 5. But we come down to verse 12. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. 
And so ultimately, while we seek it and treasure it, we also have to look to the Spirit of God to teach us. He is ultimately our teacher. And that's what Jesus told us he would be. He would guide us into all truth. And later we read, and my word, Jesus says, is truth. And so what the Spirit is to guide us in is to, into the understanding of the Word. We can understand it by the tools and all the mechanisms, but then we do need the Spirit of God to open our hearts, to be responsive to it, and sometimes even to help us understand it more fully and more completely. There's a really interesting passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but if you look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2. He says in verse 10, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among mankind knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The one without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, he can't understand them. But the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to that judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we do have the mind of of Christ. Paul's whole point here is that the way to understand the words of God and the revelation of God is ultimately by means of the Spirit of God who is sent to teach us. And all of us who know him have his Spirit so all of us can understand some deep things of the Word of God. So he tells us we must seek it. He tells us we must treasure it. He tells us that uh, we must rely upon the Spirit ultimately to instruct us. Now, back to Psalm 119, as he concludes. So then, if you look at these latter passages, these latter verses, they sort of tell us how this then can be reinforced, how the Word of God can be reinforced in our lives. He says, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your words. I delight in your decrees. He tells us four things, right? He tells us, number one, with my lips I recount. You know, oftentimes people, um, they come and they hear me share and speak in the, in the morning as I do. And, you know, they'll say to me, how do you do that without any notes up here? You know, how, how do, you just have the Bible, and I don't have anything written in here. How do you do that? And it's really a very simple thing. See, I say it over and over all the time. I'm recounting it all the time. Why? Because Monday through Friday, I teach four classes to my students, and I tell them what I am to teach them from God's Word. Now, so you, so you just heard me gave a panoramic view of the Old Testament. And you say, wow, how does he remember all that stuff? Because I'm always teaching it. I'm always teaching about Abraham every year for 18 years. I'm always teaching about Jacob 
So now you say, gee, he really hasn't told us all that much then, you know. <laughs> this is always telling us the same thing, you know. But the point is, if you recount it, if you retell it, if you keep talking about it, well, you remember it. That's what I do. I just keep teaching it, and I'm doing it again Sunday mornings. And so the more you do it, the more you remember it, and the more it's there. And it gets into your heart and into your life because you are recounting it. If after you hear this, you never open up the word, see, so you're not recounting it. And then you wonder, how come I don't know that? Well, that's why. You're not thinking about it. You're not talking about it. When you visit with your friends and you have tea or coffee, what do you talk about? There are good things you talk about, but if you're never talking about the word, you're not recounting it. If we have a Sunday school class and you don't come to Sunday school class, you wonder, how come I can't get this? It's because you're not recounting it. You're just not having opportunity to talk about it. And I tell you, I'm so blessed, so blessed over my life since I've been a believer that I've always taught the word. I can't remember a time when I did not, even as a young person, because being the only Jewish person in the church, they said, Gary, this is how he got started. They said to me, Gary, we live in a very big Jewish community. You are our token Jew. <laughs> With all love. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they said. That's exactly what he said to me. You are our token Jew, and you need to help us understand the Jewish people and the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Just tell us what you know about the Jewish people. I said, okay, there's a holiday coming up, and I'll tell you about Hanukkah. And so I started studying more about Hanukkah than when I did at home. And then I started looking up Hanukkah in the Bible, and that's how it started for me. And then in the Sunday school class, they'd say, hey, Gary, this morning's going to tell us about Hanukkah. So I tell them about Hanukkah. And then they'd say, hey, that was really interesting. I didn't know all that. Well, I didn't know everything I know now about Hanukkah. I only knew a few things. After five minutes, it was probably over. But it was a start. And then they'd say, is there any other holiday coming up? Oh, yeah, I think Purim comes up. When's that come up? A month later. Get ready to tell us about Purim. I was always doing that. And then one time the pastor would say, hey, would you tell our church about, you know, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah? Would you just, you know, tell our church? And it was sort of that sort of slow process. And even when we came here and passed through the church, and then very shortly thereafter, I needed to find a job. Well, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to teach the Bible full time, five days a week. And I didn't always teach well, Justin will tell you. But he's here, and he was one of my seventh grade students. You know, he's, he's really not that young, or I'm not that old. Or, but... Uh, and Chris, and many, many others. But the point is, God has blessed me because I get to talk about the Word all the time, you know. And He's blessed you and what you do, I understand. But I'm just saying with this, we recount the Word. The second thing He says is not only recount it, but He says, I rejoice in knowing it. You find joy in God's Word. And you find joy as we worship the Lord and we clap and we raise our hands and we sing the word of God. That's what we're singing about. These are truths that come from the word of God. You have to find joy in it. And this writer, the psalmist says, I find joy in it. I rejoice in it. Then he says, I meditate on your precepts. 
Just think about it. And I'll tell you, this is another fascinating thing that um, had come to me with regard to meditation. You know, my sailing buddy, my closest, one of my closest friends, Brian, um, I remember sitting with, down with him and talking. Now he's one, you know, I don't know how to say this. It's going to be on tape, and I'll just say, Brian, don't listen. But he's one of the most intelligent persons I've ever met. And there are a number of very intelligent people that I've met. Some are here. But Brian is also one of those very intelligent persons. Mary Lou and I went to his dissertation defense, and after he said, thank you all for coming, I have no clue as to what he said. And it wasn't like he used big words. He just used words differently, and they meant a whole different thing. And he had like seven or eight blackboards, and he was proving some kind of theorem from the Middle Ages. And he's just writing, and he's going, he's talking like this. And everyone there is going, hmm, wow, yeah. I'm looking at Marilyn and I say, are we on another planet? I mean, this is like, what did he just say? You know? And then afterwards, everyone stood up, and so we did too. You know, so afterward, years later, I sat down with him and I said, Brian, I mean, how do you know all this stuff? How do you learn all this stuff? He says, I do a lot of reading and then I lay down on the couch and I think about it and I let it just muse in my mind. So I said, you know, I'm going to try that. It works for him. And so after I study God's word, after I get my stuff, I sit down and I just close my eyes and I start thinking. And you know, that's how these outlines come to me. That's how these things get organized in my mind. I don't know how it happens other than I'm reading the word, I'm studying the word, I know what the guy's trying to tell me, but then I've got to come before you and somehow package it and organize it in a way that it makes sense and it flows. And so I, st I find a time to close my eyes and I think about all the things that I've learned and then all of a sudden it seems to fall into place in a way that makes sense to me and I hope it makes sense to others that hear it. But that's meditation. And it's meditation on his word. It's reflecting on his word. And then he says and he finds delight in your decrees. Now let me say just two very final last things. Every verse in this section refers to the word of God, like in most sections, right? He says, look at verse 9, living according to your word. Look at verse 10, do not let me stray from your commands. Look at verse 11, hide your word in my heart. Look at verse 12, teach me your decrees. Look at verse 13, all the laws that come from your mouth. Look at verse 14, rejoice uh, your statutes, I rejoice in your statutes. Look at verse 15, meditate on your precepts. Look at verse 16, delight in your decrees. And if that's not enough, I will not neglect your word. <laughs> you know, every verse has a reference to the word of God. Now, after having said all that to us, after the psalmist has just told us, start immediately in making your, house, your heart a home for God. He tells us how, seek it, study it, investigate it, treasure it and love it. He tells us, find delight in it. Rely upon the Spirit of God. Find delight in it. Find joy in it. And he tells us, meditate upon us. And then he ends with this, which is oftentimes where we fail to get to. He says, I will not neglect your word. He makes a commitment to the very things he wrote about. 
You know, it's a very different thing when you go, walk around and see beautiful homes and communities and you say, I'd love to have that house. Very different when you think about that and then when you sign on the dotted line at closing. That is your house. You will pay the bank that mortgage. Now you will not neglect your monthly payment. You know? When you get married, and I do, you have just gotten married. You may have fallen in love, you know, whenever, and you have said, this is the person of my dreams, but you are now married. Now you are committed, and you are into it, right? When you uh, take a job, and you sign your contract, you are working here. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow and what you may experience. This is the place where you are for the next eight hours, over the next whatever your contract is. That's what the psalmist is telling us you and I must do if we want our home, our heart, to be a home for God and his word. We have to get to that point where we say, I will not neglect your word. I mean, all that stuff you said, Gary, was really pretty interesting. And all that stuff was pretty humorous. But now we get down to business. I will not neglect your word. Don't sign on the dotted line if you don't need it because God will hold you accountable to it. And if you don't sign on the dotted line, then don't complain. When you say, I don't understand this stuff. I don't hear God speak to me. My heart does not seem a place where God dwells and my life is not what I'd like it to be. You have to make the commitment, just like you do in any other sphere of our lives, if you want whatever it is that you're making a commitment to, to be significant and valuable to you. It's that moment of dedication, you might say, where we say, you know, you spoke to me this morning. I've heard you speak to me that you want my heart to be a home for you and for your word. And now you have to respond. And the response is what the psalmist says, I will not neglect your I hope you all can make that statement and will make it because God will richly bless you for it. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Gary of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I hope it was a blessing and encouragement to you. Our church, New Hope Chapel, is located in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis. So if you're ever visiting in our area, please come by, say hello, and visit with us. We'd love to have you. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org on the web. So we hope to see you soon. God bless.